The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host. James Fox is alongside us. What's up, James? How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How's it going? (laughs) It's all right, dude. Hey, I found out that you had another kid. How about that one? Yeah, did you find out on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, like the rest of the world. Sources, no. eh? Yeah, so no, good job uh, holding down the fort. You got you got to talk to uh, Kurt Bloom, who's freaking awesome. That dude yeah, nice is guy. like, yeah, it, he's like, it's constant stream of coffee and Red Bull for that man. But yeah, that was, that was good. Um, thanks for, you know, holding the fort down without me, obviously. So yeah, everything's good here to sons under 18 months so you know i you know the fact that i found time to do this is uh i guess crazy but whatever we're good it's a beautiful thing and uh you know it's great to have you back james because yeah last week if you missed it you can check out our library at future socks you search our podcast we're now part of the blue wire network also partnered with socks machine check out that interview i did with kurt bloom today james we have a pretty special treat in store for the listeners because andy barquette the hitting coordinator of the chicago white Sox, took time to talk to us about the state of the organization what was really fascinating and we'll, we'll talk about this later uh, was some of the philosophies that they're implementing organization-wide from top-down. sounds like there's a plan being put in place, so I'm excited for you to listen to that. But before we get into the interview with Andy, James, there's a few things that we need to hit on because the White Sox sent down Jake Berger. Yeah, sad face, really upset about that. You also posted a story on SoxMachine.com and also FutureSox.com relating to like looking forward to the draft, but also bringing it back to Carlos Rodon being straight out, not offered, qualifying offer. So let's start right there because and there's a, a couple other things that we need to hit on too, especially Sean Burke. But let's start there. Spread your wings a little bit. You, you were able to express some feelings about the Carlos Rodon situation this offseason and how it affects the Major League Baseball draft, the amateur draft for the White Sox here. Yeah, so, you know, I'm always whining about this. People accuse me of on Twitter. And it's, it's I don't know, it's just like frustrating because – you know, the old slogan, like, uh, penny wise and pound foolish. Like, it's true in this case. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I don't know if it's Jerry Reinsdorf's fault or Rick Hahn's fault. Or, like, it doesn't really matter whose fault it is, right? But, like, if you told me that the White Sox don't want to sign Carlos Rodon to a multi-year contract at big money, I think that's, like, completely reasonable knowing his history. And they're very familiar with his past work habits. Like, I get it. But I've just always said, like, not offering him or extending him the qualifying offer, I should say, is just not something that any other large market contender in the sport right now would do. It was the most puzzling decision of their offseason. Like, it might have been the most puzzling decision of the offseason. And I think it comes down to just the fact that, like, there was no scenario where they were willing to pay him $18.4 million this year. And, like, it just it doesn't make any sense when you're trying to win. So... You know, for those who don't know, you know, you extend him the qualifying offer. He has the 10 days or whatever to decline. 
you know, I, I have a pretty good source that says that he would have in fact declined and just kind of dealt with it and just, you know, went out into the market encumbered with that upon him. And had he signed somewhere else, the White Sox would have gotten the 80th pick in this upcoming draft in July, which isn't that big of a deal. It's the 80th pick, fine. But it's an extra $800,000 in a draft bonus pool. And they're 28th in pool right now. They just like don't have very much money to spend because they don't get comp picks and whatnot. So, you know, it, it just would have helped them a lot having the extra draft pick. And like the point of the story is essentially, you know, they could have gotten three top 50 draft prospects instead of two. And yeah, they didn't do it because they were afraid that he might accept. And honestly, like, you know, we're not doing a ton on the big league team, but had he accepted great, you'd have Carlos Rodon on a one-year deal for $18 million. And, you know, you often see like, oh, they have a budget and this and that. And like, that's fine. But would you rather have Carlos Rodon or Joe Kelly, Josh Harrison, and Johnny Cueto? Because that's $18 million right there. So it's just, they do stuff like this all the time. It doesn't make any sense. They can still draft good players in July. They could still be fine. But they just like dig unnecessary holes for like no reason sometimes. And I pointed it out um, in this article where some might think that I'm too whiny and upset. Go to futuresocks.com to read it for yourself and get your own opinion on what James is trying to say here. Let me just play devil's advocate, try and speak for the organization here if I can, because this is a really good uh, conversation to have. I know everything in hindsight is is 100%, but here we stand with the White Sox, a game above 500 as we record this podcast. And a lot of the question marks that at least I had going into this offseason was how are they solidify the rotation well we're seeing Vince Velasquez Dallas Keuchel and Johnny Cueto be their back end at this point and well you mentioned a lot of the contradictions to to your point already and you pretty much squashed them and I totally understand it because when the White Sox were dealing with this uh, situation regarding Carlos Rodon was right before the lockout and they didn't do anything in the offseason prior to the lockout they essentially sat on their hands and I wonder how different the offseason would have been if they did extend the qualifying offer, and I know you said you had sources that suggested he would have declined, but the White Sox may have figured that he was going to accept. And with the arm issues that he suffered last season, you know, the tail off of production or maybe the lingering effects of missing, you know, the number of games and seasons that he did uh, following a serious injury kind of had them backing off a little bit. And I don't want to speak for them, but I'm just thinking as if I would, if I was in that office. So if their fear was that they would accept the qualifying offer, they, as in Rodon's camp, then I understand w- with their reasoning behind, you know, all of the external stuff like that they're concerned about. If that's $18.4 million going to one player, then that does restrict the rest of your offseason. However, with the way the offseason turned out, it is frustrating to see that Rodon's not in this rotation because obviously I want Rodon in the rotation compared to what they have now. So it is, I I totally understand where you're coming from. The frustration is fascinating when you incorporate it into the fact that they would have gained a second, you know, a compensatory pick in the second round and you get a couple of top 100 picks out of it. So, you know, all of this, James, there's a lot to it. It's not as simple as, well, they could have had Rodon and they didn't. Right. But it almost does come down to that. To me, well, to me, the problem isn't even having it. I don't even care that they let him walk. I care that they got nothing for letting him walk. Like it doesn't, right. it doesn't make any sense. Like it's the, the you're right. They're death. They were deathly afraid of like paying him eighteen million dollars, which and you said the key word right for one player, and they always do this. But like their like configuration of four players that they sign for that money often doesn't equal like the total of one player. Like Carlos Rodon was five F WAR pitcher last year. Like the three guys I rattled off who equal him, Josh Harrison, Joe Kelly, and Johnny Cueto. You think they equal like the total number of war that Carlos Rodon will this year? I would bet no. So that's the stuff that's like foolish. Like I get it. Like if Rick Hahn's like, oh, I have all these needs to fill and my owner won't let me do this. Like that's why I said like I didn't really know who to blame, but that's the way Mm -hmm. they want it. We never know who to blame for decisions like this. 
No, it's absolutely frustrating. No, I get it totally because, you know, I was a little underwhelmed when I saw they signed Josh Harrison. I thought they would have upgraded the position at second base to have somebody better, flat out, honestly. I know Yolbert Sanchez is all the rage, but come on, man. You're trying to win a World Series here, and you're okay with Gavin Sheets platooning in right field. So it's things like that that kind of play into this decision. I understand completely where you're coming from, especially when they had the leverage. You saw, you, you extend the offer, he declines, you get the pick. And they didn't do that because they're – uh, my opinion, it seemed like they were worried that he would accept and they didn't want to have that occur. So with that being said, go to futuresocks.com and read James's article on that. Let's also discuss Sean Burke's promotion as well as Yohan Moncada's um, return and Jake Berger's demotion to AAA. So let's start there. Jake Berger gets sent down to AAA. James, Yohan Moncada's healthy again. Obviously, he's the third base who can hit from the left side. And Berger, unfortunately, is the odd man out here, even though I feel like maybe there was another option that could could have been sent down in his place because I like his bat at the big league level. Yeah, I mean, I thought maybe Mendick goes down and Berger stays up while Vaughn is out. But, I mean, look, long-term, I mean, Berger was going back down. I mean, Tony Tony mentioned it the other day in regards to your mean Mercedes that it, like, on June 1st, they're going, you got to go 13 position players, 13 pitchers on the roster. And there's just not going to be room for all these guys. So, you know, they're opting for the flexibility, I guess, of Danny Mendick right now instead of Berger, which tells me, you know, we're going to get a lot of Reese McGuire. So, you know, that that's probably... The reasoning, I thought you could have kept Berger even to DH against lefties or whatever in Vaughn's absence, but you know they obviously chose the the defensive flexibility. I mean, Moncada is obviously going to be at third pretty much every day, so it's I, I'm not terribly surprised. So it's just you know it, it was one of two guys basically, him or Mendick. I thought. And I mentioned Sean Burke. Let's talk him real quick, James. This is a college arm who we had high expectations for coming into this season, mainly because of. Well, the numbers in college and relatively high draft pick, as well as the success that he had in his first season professionally pitching at a relatively high level, all things considered. Now we'll see what he has to offer in double A, but this is an advanced arm, not only just age, but in terms of stuff as well. Yeah, you know, still, I think some command issues, um, some walks, but yeah, a good arm, big physical righty. Um, You know, we talked a little bit off air about I just think A-ball right now, high A and low A are more developmental leagues than they've ever been. Um, and while double A was always like that barrier that it used to be, now now I kind of feel like low A might be. And I, I just think for a guy like him, not that he wasn't getting anything out of Winston-Salem, but just go to double A and figure it out, I feel like at this point. Like he could just pitch there instead. So, you know, I don't know if it's like, a truly like fast tracking him or if they're trying to get him into the upper minors to like, you know, use him in trade talks or whatever. Like, I, I don't know, but I just kind of feel like Birmingham is ultimately going to be the right spot for a lot of these college like type guys, like soon after they're drafted from now on, just based on like what a ball kind of looks like right now. A lot of good stuff ahead. Please stay tuned for this interview. I implore you to do so. You will learn a lot about the inner workings of the Chicago White Sox because Andy Barquette, the hitting coordinator of the entire organization, is jumping on this podcast, this episode, right now. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Pleased to be joined now by Andy Barquette, the 
hitting coordinator for the Chicago White Sox. It's a pleasure to be joined by someone who is overseeing the hitting side of the operation on the south side of Chicago. And really, we're here to talk to Andy about what's happening across the minor leagues, across the affiliates, high-level parts of the organization. Obviously, we are very excited about a number of prospects across the White Sox farm system that we're monitoring. Hopefully, a couple of them do end up making their major league debuts this season. Uh, Before we get into specifics, Andy, just want to welcome you to the Future Sox podcast. It really means a lot that you're joining us today. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys having me on, and um, you guys do a great job of keeping us all updated on how our players are doing on, on social media. And so that's greatly appreciated. And, um, you know, you're, you're providing really good coverage of our, of our guys. And, and, and so it's, it's great. Those guys need to be showcased. We have a lot of good players. But I also want to thank, thank you guys, Michael and James, for having me on and for, for doing such a good job of promoting our guys. Speaking of social media, you can follow Andy on Twitter at abarquet17. So, Andy, here's where I want to start with you today. As the hitting coordinator for the Chicago White Sox, you jumped into the organization early last season, and now this year your official appointed title is really overseeing the hitting operation like we've been saying. However, you have major league experience as a player. You've also spent time in the majors as a coach. With that being said, across your time in Major League Baseball, just curious what you have to offer and what you're bringing to the Chicago White Sox that's moved the needle to what we're seeing on the White Sox hitting side. Well, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to answer that question just because, uh, you know, it, gets, it allows me to talk about so many people that I've been able to work with along the way, and whether it be mental skills coaches, uh, Bernie Holiday, for example, in the Pirates organization, a guy named Dave Turgeon, who's uh, coaching IM, at IMG right now. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. You know, Stan Kyles, uh, Joe Coleman, just so many people that poured in along the way. Um, and the experiences as a player, uh, you know, obviously prepare you to be able to coach. Uh, you know, I, I grew up around sports. My parents were, were coaches and officials. I had to make extra money, so I was around sports my whole life and around coaching. And then you become a player and you see what kind of people influence you and how they influence you. And you learn how to, you know, take that those experiences and, and hopefully pass them on and influence others. So, uh, yeah, I mean, being a major league player, major league coach, Especially on the hitting side, you know, a guy like Tim Hires, I got a chance to work with him in Boston. Just an excellent teacher of, of modern, you know, mechanics that are that are taught in the major leagues, kind of streamlined now. Uh, drill packages, um, just simplifying movements and and verbiage of things, and being able to soak all that up, and then you know, applying it to approach and modern technology with heat maps and and different types of metrics and numbers. Just to put into equation, you know, to start preparing these guys. So you, know, you take, and then you have the old school of you, you got to grind out at bats and got to be tough and you got to be able to pass the baton to the next guy. You know, so you have, you try to blend all of that into to one teaching that's very simple and applicable, and, and that's what we've been doing since last October. And it's it's you know we we have really good players, and you know I, I enjoy talking about our players just because I mean our guys we got guys that can hit, so it's. It's really uh, – I'm in a fortunate space right now to be able to be a hitting coordinator around a bunch of dudes who are really talented. So, you know, when you have talented guys and really talented young coaches as well, then, you know, it, it translates to the players and, 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 and it makes us all look really good. So uh, that's kind of what uh, – that's like catching you up a little bit. So hopefully you guys can, can draw some questions from there. Yeah, Andy, thanks. And, that, you know, that's what I was going to ask because I feel like people don't really know and it's not a position – that the White Sox have, have had necessarily in the past, like since we've been doing this, you know, what, what does the, the hitting coordinator do? I know that you've been at different affiliates and that's part of the job, but you know, is there a easier way to summarize, you know, the job that you're doing for the White Sox? Well, I think you're trying to, number one, you have to build a culture, like what type of culture are we building? Are we um, an aggressive organization? Are we, uh, are we, kind of passive so to speak at the plate where we're taking pitches or working counts are we hunting or like who are we what is our identity so i feel like establish an an identity establish a culture and then you know coach the coaches how to coach the culture into the players and that's kind of the the you know the over the overview of it but you know getting specific obviously we have drills um that that players use and some of them use them some of them don't i mean 
the same time, we don't make people do this is their careers. If they have something that makes them, you know, feel good or the way that they want to hit within our parameters, that's okay. If somebody's a little bit out of those parameters, obviously we make adjustments. But we have drill packages and they they all know what the drills are for. And you know, I was just in Winston Salem and recently and you know, we have players coaching players uh, within our system. It's just like wow, it's actually it's taking it's taking root. When you see when the coaching staff of the affiliate is creating an environment where players can coach other players within what we're all teaching and they understand it, especially at the lower levels, uh, that's really special. So back to your original question, like starting at the bottom too, like you got, you, you got to come in and you got to teach the first group you got, the young group, and, and try to build a culture through those guys. And then hopefully it spreads from there. And that's what we did instructionally. And got, it's gotten us to this point. So, uh, you know, we've had a really good April I'm not really certain what the numbers look like. I don't really care. I do care, obviously, but I'm focusing on the individuals right now. We're just trying to pour into those guys, the coaches and players, and keep keep the needle moving, as you said. Yeah, that's great perspective, Andy. And I, I want to follow up with something more focused on the international class. You know, obviously the White Sox pride themselves in taking advantage of the international market, especially with the crop of Cuban players, those from the Dominican Republic and even Venezuela. I just wonder what it's like working with those types of players and and trying to fine-tune their approach as they come stateside for the first time, seeing professional baseball uh, on on this side of the world, essentially, in their case. What what are some of the philosophies that you're able to instill that help them become better hitters? You know, uh, that is... um... Obviously, that that's a secret sauce, really. I mean, you know, it, it's 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 really a lot of conversation with guys and getting to know guys and who they are as, as people, and and then seeing where they are baseball wise, and, and seeing how they can make adjustments along the way. Um, you know, I'm able to I'm, I'm bilingual, so I'm able to speak to those guys in Spanish, and I have some Cuban blood in my in my heritage, so uh, able to connect with them at times. I feel like, but uh, you know, there's there's a lot of cultural differences in this world where people grow up and where they live, and then you know we're in a we're in a big business here in the United States, and and you know things are a certain way at times, or certain ways are expected of people, and sometimes they're not used to that culturally. You have to adapt, and so uh, it's definitely a really uh, a cool way to be able to hopefully influence people's lives that we're all on a spot here in the minor leagues because of the international space that. that White Sox do, you know, sign players in. So it's cool, you know, we at every level to have, you know, the opportunity to impact those guys. And hopefully, you know, we can, we can keep getting them better and make big leaders out of them. So, you know, back to just how closely you work with members of the organization, obviously, you know, it sounds like a solid plan, like all throughout the minor leagues. How does, how does that filter upward though? Like how, how much contact do you have to have with Frank Menachino and, big league coaches. And obviously like you were with Tony La Russa in Boston. So you've, you know, you've had a history of being around him. How does that work? Like the minor league coordinator um, in conjunction with big league coaches? Well, I mean, we, we both are, uh, we're all busy people in this game for, you know, six, seven, eight months, uh, whatever it is, hopefully nine, 10 months of we playing the world series. Uh, so we're all really busy people. Uh, when it, when it comes to Frankie and I, we've known each other a long time, I, you know, since 1992, I believe. We, we've known each other, playing against each other, and, um, you know, coaching with, alongside him in different organizations. So the Marlins organization, to be specific, I was a coordinator, a, a double-A manager, and he was the, the major league hitting coach. And there's a lot of mutual respect there. And I know, he knows that I'm trying to get players better. He knows how that I'm trying to do that. I know that he's working on guys and passionately trying to get players better up there. So if there's a need for us to speak or communicate, we do. But I, you know, we we don't communicate on a daily basis or weekly basis. I do talk to our hitting coaches in the minor leagues, uh, normally at least once a week uh, over the phone, and we have you know, we catch up. If not, if I'm not in the city, then obviously uh, I'll be talking to the guys. So. It's uh you know it's constant communication from from where I'm at down but up top like Tony at times uh, there's times you know where, where he'll call and ask questions or I'll get a random text from him etc but again he's super focused on winning games and so is that whole staff and they're hyper focused during the day so like when you're and I know how it is 
you know, I, you know, when I was a, a minor league coach before being a major league coach, I used to kind of fret, like, why don't they keep in more contact with us? Like, and then you become a big league coach and you realize the, the, the demands of the job. And you're like, wow, well, these guys are busy, uh, especially the hitting coaches. There's nobody busier than hitting coaches because, uh, you know, all the game planning involved and all the cage time involved, you know, those guys really grind it out. So, you know, we respect each other's time and space. But, yeah, we're all, you know, we're working, we're all pulling on the same, on the same rope to try to help the team win in the big leagues and help these young guys develop and, and keep the veteran guys going. So I don't even know if you if you can describe this, but you know you have an extensive history coaching, you know, in the minors and your former manager, obviously, and then you know you you did a stint in the major leagues in Boston, and now you've returned kind of to the development side. So I guess like from a hitting perspective, like how much has the game changed in regards to just like teaching hitting from the last time you worked, you know, in the minors compared to now, essentially? Yeah, I mean, you know. When I got to the big leagues, I, I as a coach, I, I was a manager in the minor leagues, and I done a lot of hitting stuff along the way. I guess you know clinics and things like that, and um, I've done a lot of teaching. But you know the teaching is kind of mainstream, and, and I learned on the, on the fly from Tim Hires, who learned was a Dodger hitting coach, and you know when they were going to the World Series there and and, and against the Astros, and he was the assistant hitting coach. And, all those guys, you know, all those great hitters. He got to know all the hitting um, consultants in California and, and learned all the, you know, the mechanics. J.D. Martinez comes into play. You know, you, we just be, we, we became a lot better hitting coaches being around J.D. just because of how passionate he is and teaching and using some of these, you know, out-of-the-box tools. to, And they're basically designed just to, to create really efficient movements every day and keep the body moving as efficiently as possible, being using the ground for power and just making very good biomechanical movements. So, uh, you know, learned a ton from there. And then now you take that and then you see how it's done in the big league, especially winning a World Series and see how to win a World Series. Okay, now I know how to do that from an offensive you know, standpoint. Uh, number one, you have to, you know, obviously, hitting coaches become offensive coordinators. And it's not just about the swing and it's about the game plan to beat the other pitcher. And then developing the hitters to be able to execute game plans and get nine of them or 12 of them. And then we got a team that can win a championship. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're working on every day to get guys better. And it's, it's been fun to take the experiences of a lifetime in baseball and, and, and you know, use them here uh, with this group. But you know, again, we have a great group of players and an excellent group of coaches and staff. So it's been a lot of fun so far and like, it's been a great month and hopefully we can keep it going. Curious your relationship with assistant general manager and the lead player development staffer, Chris Getz, uh, with the White Sox. And we're looking at a change of direction, the way the organization has progressed in terms of evaluating hitters and developing their hitters over the last five to 10 years as you're hitting on. I love the biomechanics aspect of incorporating that information and in assisting the development of players. Uh, but I bring up Chris Getz because it seems like you know, as we've been following this organization, he's had a huge impact on implementing a lot of these changes. And I just wonder how you feel about working with him and what his philosophies are and how they're incorporated into making the White Sox just better overall as an organization. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Chris brings a lot to the, to the table. He's He was a player, played in the big leagues, came up, you know, played in the system. So very familiar. And, you know, you, when you play somewhere, especially when you don't play for too many different teams, you you become a little bit attached to those teams. So I think he, he really cares about the organization, um, you know, from his playing experience, number one. As well, you know, he's, he's, he's very progressive in his thinking. And he's trying to think outside the box. And he's constantly looking for ways to get better as a group and, uh, and, and each department, you know, whether it be hitting, pitching, base running, whatever it is. And, but at the same time, you know, he, he lets us work. And he's like, you know, he, he allows us to be creative and, and to come to him with ideas, and, and uh, you know, he's been he's been great as a boss. And allowed us to kind of explore different avenues of, of player development and different ideas, and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And you know, we're we're still going through that process of all. You know, does this testing work? Does that testing work? Is this helping players? Is that helping players? Um, and that's what this you know. There's so much technology out there. We have to figure out what's the most efficient way to do it. And some of that's going to be through trial and error. And Chris is open to, to 
to giving things a shot. And uh, a lot of it has been great. Uh, we've, we've been able to, to find little nuggets about players and, and learn and learn and, 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 and you know, maybe some, somebody's a, a certain, has a certain movement pattern needs to be developed through the strength and conditioning department. And, and then we can find out those, that information now, maybe free up a guy's lower half, for example, through exercises and better biomechanical movements. And now the swing path starts to clean up. So that's the amazing thing about player development these days. And so as, as much as people, you know, throw stones at times about, you know, modern day and, and you know, technology and all this, you know, there's a lot. You just, if your heart is to get players better, then you just look for ways to get players better. And if we find them through technology, then we find them and we lose them. And that's kind of gets his personality, I believe. Yeah, we're really optimistic here at Future Sox, of course, uh, for a number of prospects within the system at this point. And uh, really interesting to hear about the incorporation of the technology and the, and the use of analytics. It's incredibly important in today's game. And one of the players that are standing out to us really right now is Brian Ramos, who's currently in Winston-Salem Advanced A. And this is somebody who looks like he's a pretty polished hitter. Obviously, there's development moving ahead in his future, but I mean... What we see so far is really exciting. What is it about Brian Ramos' swing that has us feeling this type of way? If if you could just expand on what he does well. Yeah, he's he's a very strong, strong man. He can. can we we talk about our engine a lot as as a group here on the hitting side, and that's basically your power source, your lower half. This guy can use it, and he can use it to all field and fields and keep keep the, the bat in the zone for a long time. Big time power, left center, right center, center field. I mean, he can do it all. I've been playing really good third base this year. Twenty years old. When the ball comes off his bat, it's different. And that's when you know you keep an eye on a guy like that. Like this guy's not only going to be a big leaguer, but he has a chance to be a special big leaguer. Obviously, those are big expectations of a guy, but he's got he's got a nose for that baseball, and and he just looks like he can you know, he can really he can really make adjustments, and that's going to be the key. For all of them, you know, any guy you ask me about, it's it's all the same as they move up. You know, Mies is going to be the same. This guy's freaking really good looking baseball player. What a st- sweet stroke he has to all to all fields. And you know, when they get to Double A, are they going to make adjustments? When they get to Triple A, are they going to be able to make adjustments? And that's what you have to to kind of follow and prepare these guys for. Is is like we can't get too happy because the next level's coming. We got to start preparing for that and and so forth. So. Man, but Ramos, he's special. He's, uh, I feel blessed to be able to have a chance to, to influence his career in any way, shape, or form, just to be around him. And, I, and, he's, a, and he's a fine young man. His personality is soft-spoken, but he plays to win. He wants to be good. Uh, you know, he's just he's a fun guy to be around. And, and we're, you know, we're happy to have him in this organization and love the start that he's off to. And, you know, hopefully he can keep, keep it rolling in May. Yeah, we, we've been excited about his breakout because he's a guy that we've been following just because he's always produced and he's always been super young for every level that he's been at. And, you know, he was never even in the Dominican Summer League. He came right stateside, you know, as a 17-year-old and held his own. So, you know, that's good to see. You know, I think most of our readers and, and listeners, um, they're they're loving what they're seeing from Brian Ramos. But the guy that we get asked about the most, obviously, is Oscar Colas. Um in, in Winston-Salem, obviously, what have you uh, seen out of him so far? And I guess his transition to not only like stateside baseball, but, you know, just after the long layoff he had now playing at high A Winston-Salem right out, right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think level wise, skill wise, not, a, not an issue for him. This guy's a, this guy's a really good baseball player. He's talented. He can run. He can, he can, he's got really, really good time bat speed and play defense out there. He, there's a lot to be excited about with Oscar. You know, we, there is a, you know other things like guys have to just learn to catch up and get experience and playing number one in this country and adapting to a different culture and a new type of baseball. And there's just a lot of change. So, uh, you know, he's handled it like a champ so far. He's off to a really good start. Uh, you know, he's been out recently with a little, little something, a little snagging something. I'm nothing a big guy. I expect to be back playing soon. Um, but he's, you know, he's a special player. I look forward to the rest of this season. I just was with him and had some conversations with him. And, you know, I, I believe this kid could, talent-wise, you know, depending on how the year goes, he, he could impact the big, big team. And, and so could Brian. Just – 
you just never know. You know, when you get late in the season and you're looking for the most talented guys who's locked in at the same time, uh, those guys could escalate through the organization quickly, you know, depending on how they play. So they, they just have that type of upside. Yeah, you you know, you mentioned Mieses, who's somebody that we follow too. But, you know, another guy that I know the organization is super high on, drafted in the 18th round last year, was Adam Hackenberg. And, you know, he's interesting because it's, it's an eight, 18th round college guy out of Clemson. He was hurt a lot at Clemson, you know, and then he's kind of done nothing but hit since joining the organization. So what what have your thoughts been, I guess, working with him? You know, Hack is, um, this kid is one of our favorite guys, like just as a human. He's a, he's, he's a leader. Um, I, I, I believe, you know, I don't hang out with players outside the clubhouse, but I believe like he's a guy that, you know, he's got, he's got his teammates back. Like he's that type of guy. I think they, they look up to him on the field. He's, you know, he's trying to, to win the game and he's, he's into the game. Like he's, he's just, a, he's got that it factor. Um, obviously he needs to, you know, we all need to clean up stuff, especially in A ball. But this guy is, you know, he has come in and learned. He was our instructional league. And, in our instruction league and really kind of adapted to some of the teaching and the, and the ideas and he's been great as far as helping spread it to the, the other players and the culture of our, our organization so uh, I, I'm excited about this young man you know uh, I know he had, he had some issues at Clemson and uh, as far as injuries and so forth and, and so you know we knew that he was talented and, and uh, now to see him we had speculated that this was what we might see. We were hoping we would see it. Now that we're seeing it, you're like, yeah, very nice. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big Hackenberg fan. I think the organization is. Even if you ask his teammates, I think you wouldn't find anybody to say anything but good things about We're paying special attention to single A this season because of just the number of exciting players that uh, we get to watch on a daily basis. And one of them is first round draft pick, most recent first round draft pick, and that's Colson Montgomery. And there's a lot of reports uh, that we're seeing, we're talking to scouts as well, that credit him for his approach at the plate. And the power is getting there, and we're, we're seeing him be able to hit the ball to all fields. And I just feel like that's a product of where he's come from as, as a high school player. I mean, that you don't necessarily see that every day, but when you see him on a day-to-day basis, or at least progress after spending time with the organization last year and now getting time first full season professionally at an affiliate, what are some of the impressions that you're getting early on on Colson Montgomery, and where do you see his projections in terms of a potential big leaguer? Yeah, I mean, Colson is... You know, he's a talented guy, and he's a, he's a winner. He's you know, if you want to know anything about Colson, all you have to do is, is look at his YouTube video of him playing high school basketball, and you're like, okay, again, another guy who's got that it factor. Um, I mean, this kid was a really good basketball player and played with passion, and now you're starting to see that you know, translate into, into the life of baseball. Uh, and so he's he's got some big hits early in the season. He's shown flashes of like wow, and uh, you know he's been fun to watch. He's very teachable. It's a great example of you know his off-season program or with his agency that he works out with is really in line with the White Sox program as far as hitting and everything. So he was everything was cohesive in his development in the off-season, and he came back this season just like hitting off velocity and spin with you know high level speed and spin rates and things like that in the off-season too. Really heavy, heavy level, high level training, getting himself ready at a young age. And I had had conversations with him over the wintertime and was impressed with what he was telling me. Like, really, kid, if you're doing what you're saying you're doing, you know, working wise, you're going to you're gonna really hit this year, you know? And you're going to be able to catch up to this time. Sure enough, that's how it's looked so far. You know, and he's kind of, he had his spells. Like, West Cap has shown, he's starting to really come around now. He's swimming about really well uh, as of recently. Um, but, you know, he they're going to have their spells. They, they were in high school last year. You know, like, those guys are, uh, we, we have to give them really grace this first full season to just let them play the whole year. And then next year, both of them are going to mash, I feel like. And, um, and then we're going to have, you know, two rising prospects on our on our hands. But they got to get used to, to baseball. And there used to be a short season where those guys could go to the New York Penn League or the Northwest League or... Yappy League, et cetera, and kind of have that little like in between almost junior college ish of 
minor league baseball to kind of get to the to the long season team, but they don't have that anymore. So these these kids sometimes are, you know, it's just it's just how the way the system is now because they, they don't have the team. The kids are, you know, are are uh, playing in, in the low A to start off. And this goes for all organizations or most organizations, I believe. And they just got that first year. They just got to play. And we're you know we're helping them and we're showing them stuff and they're going to have to have to know on their own. They're going to learn from us. And then in that second full season, uh, they're both going to have to be, you know, have big years. I mean, they, we're only a month in. And they both going to have massive years the rest of this year. I have no idea. But I just know they're going to go through stuff this year, uh, just like all players do. And I'm really looking forward to the future of those kids uh, as, they, as they continue our organization. Yeah, I'm really glad that you were uh, that you did mention Wes Kath. I'm going to ask you about uh, his swing because, man, do I just I, – I really like watching him swing. But the, the fact that you talk about the significance of uh, not incorporating a short season minor league affiliate into the game anymore really is impactful to development of certain players or the pathway of, of prospects, young prospects in their first seasons or what have you, whatever their situation is. So I'm glad you didn't mention that because that's a topic that we hit on all the time here at Future Sox. But regarding West Cath. What is it about his swing? I, I know, and you make a great point about this is as a first professional full season player, you're going to go through your struggles. And really that's kind of, in my perspective right now, secondary because we know the talent and just the um, the inherited skill set is, is there. You see it. It's just how do you work through the struggles? But when it comes to just West Cath's swing, what is it about him that says, yeah, this guy can really mash? You know he can he can he can hit balls out to left field. Left-handed hitter. He's got this. He's got this natural stroke that just stays in the zone a long time. And he he'll take you deep to left field in pressure situations. You know he catches you out front. He'll go to he'll go to center, left center. He's got power everywhere. And he's and and you know he, and it's a, it's a sweet stroke. It's like you know there's a little Will Clark in there. You know as far as like the path of the bat you know, when he catches it right. Obviously, he's a 19-year-old kid, and that's that's lofty. But he's just—he's good. He hasn't even really filled out to the body yet. Like this guy's got—he's got some years of development to go. But ooh, man, what we're seeing already—I mean, he's he, the numbers aren't like superb in April, but he's, he's starting to bang. And and what we, and there's been a lot of like really good quality, you know, hard-hit balls at people, and really good at bats and so forth. So he's showing development in his first month. And, and again, they're facing really good. They went to high school last year. Now they're facing freaking guys throwing 98 like every night, you know. And so it's just uh, it's a big it's a big adjustment for those guys. Andy, the uh, you know the night and day difference with Canapolis this year has been something that we've been interested in. I mean, obviously, like a lot of those kids were put in a really really tough situation last year. You know, a lot of them are playing in low A and maybe. You know, maybe they shouldn't have been, but there wasn't really any other choice, right? And some of these kids have, have just been really standout so far. Misael Gonzalez was a former 12th rounder out of Puerto Rico. I mean, he looks like he's, you know, taken off kind of similarly to how he did in the Arizona League. What have you seen out of him? And then is there anybody specifically um, down there who you're really impressed with in Kannapolis that maybe we're not talking about enough? Well, I mean, I like to highlight. I mean, James Beard. I mean, I know the numbers maybe aren't really lighting up just yet, but this kid, you know, if you watch him play, has really grown up in a year, and uh, I have expectations of him continuing to grow. And with the jumps he made from who he was last year to who he is now, um, we could see that type of development every year. You can have a special player on our hands. He's an incredible athlete, and there's lots of upside to him. DJ Gladney is. Um, is, is like a grown man in that batter's box. And so he is, he is really kind of, seemed like after instructional league, his mood really cleaned up and his confidence, you know, kind of, he started to you know, work on his mental approach and it all kind of quit together. And now you see this confident young man and if you throw it where he's swinging, it, 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 get hit, it gets hit and it stays hit. It, 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 it's gone. You know what I mean? Like he hits balls, you're like, wow. And, and, and then, you know, when he mishits balls, he's driving in single, you know, single left field, two ribbies because he's so strong. So there's a lot to like about DJ Gladney. Misael has uh, got some serious power, some serious stuff. And, uh, again, you know, has the, 
has the uh, ability to deliver in big situations. Uh, still has a long way to go in development, but at the same time has really shown some you know signs where he just he makes you chuckle when you see these kids and you you are able to help mold them in the cage and you watch them go out there and bang out three run homers to dead center and what we talk about and so forth and they see them see them do it just makes you chuckle, chuckle sometimes and he's been a guy for that for me you know, a few times this this season where I'm just like man me say oh that's I see why somebody drafted you buddy you got big time power like man you got a chance to play in the big leagues and when you see be able to tell kids that and, and see the see the light the light in their eyes light up you know it's uh, there's nothing better when a coach believed in you as a player I remember that as a player myself I think. I remember those guys very well that they believe in my game. So it's powerful and you, you, you try to help help see the angles for those guys, for them to make it to the big leagues, even guys that are free agents. And that's Loney here in, uh, in in Birmingham. I mean, this guy can really hit. And you know what? He keeps hitting, he keeps hitting, he keeps hitting. Guess what? He's gonna he's gonna make some money somewhere. He's gonna go to Japan, he's gonna play in the big leagues, he's gonna you know, you keep playing well, you keep doing it, so he'll give you a shot. So you just you try to keep encouraging them because the game will kick your butt. And especially as much as things are on Twitter every night, so is your numbers when you're over four. They see that too. You know, so uh, it's a lot, lot lot, more pressure these days for these guys and, and a lot more money involved. And so uh, you got to keep them focused on, on, on playing baseball and playing the win. So, you know, we've been covering guys in this system for a lot of years that, you know, they go to – Birmingham and they play at Regents Field and you know they struggle and that's like where the real true test is obviously but you know somebody that's there now Jose Rodriguez still young for the level struggled a little bit I would say statistically um, but what what have you seen out of Jose and what what do you need to see what do you want to see out of him you know to advance you know to AAA and then you know hopefully to the big leagues yeah I think um I think Jose is a very talented young man and he's had a tough month. I think that I think he wanted to get off to a really good start. I think that, uh, you know, sometimes guys get in a hurry. They want to go to step uh, D, E, and F before they really complete A, B, and C. And the game isn't easy and the Southern League isn't easy. And, uh, you know, this, uh, this, if, if you, any player thinks that they can come to this league and, and uh, you're just going to just, you know, breeze through it, it's not going to happen. This league's tough. So um, I think he's just going through growing pains of, 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 of a young player, and uh, they all have to learn and adapt. That's why we have the different levels. He's very talented, so what, you know, what we need to see out of him is just, you know, uh, you know better contact, more contact, better contact on, on fastballs, getting the ball in play, uh, allowing his, his God-given ability and, and, and you know, experience he has to, to really uh, to happen and so uh, I think you know, he has a propensity to try to do too much young player double A it happens and, uh, but you know this guy's talented and good good hitters hit uh, and then you know you look back and you kind of shake your head and like yeah man I can't believe I did that in April man I had it the whole time and I just you know overthank it a little bit or you know, whatever it is so he'll be uh, he'll be right back in there pretty soon he's already, he's already uh, the last few weeks he's really Made better contact, making strides, and showing some of those signs of turning his first month around. Andy, you've been so generous with your time. Thanks so much. We're going to uh, leave you with a couple more questions. I got two more for you. The first one, I can't end this interview without asking you about Yolbert Sanchez because you know we've been fans of Yolbert since they signed him out of the international class uh, here at Future Sox, and I think the White Sox absolutely nailed that selection and also the development because, you know, we knew that he could play defense, but now he's proving to everyone that he could also hit. What is it about the bat to ball skill that suggests that Yolbert Sanchez is a big league second baseman or a big league hitter, just flat out period? Yeah. I mean, this guy's a professional hitter. He's, he, uh, he, he works with some guys in Miami that, that um, teach along the same lines as we teach. So, you know, he's, he's, he really moves efficiently. He takes pride in what he does. Uh, he knows how to, 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 to look for zones and look for pitches. He's a professional hitter. Um, you know, he, he hasn't played a ton of baseball. Uh, obviously, they all missed this COVID year, and he's you know, had a good year last year, went to the fall league and so forth. And uh, obviously, he's 
he's been banging so far and he continues to. So uh, we'll see what happens. I, you know, to, to say he's a major league second baseman, you know, um, you know, I, I know that Josh is playing there right now and, and uh, you know, if something were to happen, you know, I, I really don't, I'm not in on those conversations necessarily, but I'm sure he's put, would be putting pressure on an organization to maybe call him up because of the way he's swinging the bat. But uh, he's uh, he's hit, man. And when you know good hitters hit, and they, just like I said earlier, you just keep hitting, and eventually they're gonna give you a shot, <laughs> and they'll find a place for you. That's just usually how the game works. And that, some guys come from obscurity and become stars, you know, just because they just keep hitting, and uh, they may get a little older or whatever it is. But you know, uh, they, guys who can hit that ball going that fast and spinning like it does now. They, they stay around a while. When it comes to the three true outcomes, right, we, we hear that phrase all the time in Major League Baseball. And I love the perspective that you uh, provided regarding the change in, in the game and in monitoring how we approach hitting from your time in the minors to today. But as the game continues to develop, I, I don't know whether or not the game is trying to shy away from the three true outcomes, you know, air quotes in that. I just I'm just curious about how you feel about implementing an approach to professional hitters across the White Sox organization in general that translates to what you're looking for in positive results. Um, and I, I wonder how it relates to trying to hit home runs or focusing on hitting the ball hard and in the air. Well, I mean, first of all, you have to – you can't just be a hitting coach in a box because the – you have to be more like an offensive coordinator. And it all depends. To answer your question, it all depends because, you know, there could be a dude that throws the ball, you know, up, up, at, your, up at your chest, and you got to stay above him because it's got ride. you got to aim above the ball just to try to hit it, like, right maybe at his shoelaces. So, you, you, you know, that, that's not necessarily what you're doing physically, but you're thinking that just because it's uh, this ball that he throws is like an optical illusion on the flip side. The guy's sink could be like really plus based upon you know the numbers and and, and, uh, and what the, ver- the vertical angles and, and different things say, and so you might have to angle below that ball to try to get it in the air to try to get underneath it, and so customizing those to the pitcher is is kind of how you bring a game plan to um, to a game, and, and then individually talk to the players on how to execute that, and here are the movements to be able to do that consistently. Move, you know, move a certain way. It's just like golf. Guys on the range hitting all different types of clubs. It's no different. I got to be able to hit the spin down. I got to be able to heave it up. You know, we got to train them to do it all. So, Andy, last one for me, and thanks a lot for for your time. You know, we cover the draft here pretty extensively. You know, it's something that interests me greatly every year. I guess I'm just curious. Like, as the minor league hitting coordinator, are you of the mind that? you know, like that side will, will draft the players and you'll coach the guys that you get? Or do you have input on that side as far as like what the White Sox are looking for? Would you, will you, you know, it's part of your job at all, like watching a little bit of film on some draft prospects and, you know, like, yes, like this guy will work or he won't. Anything anything along those lines or you just kind of coach who you guys get? I've, uh, I've done a little bit of that here and there. I've done it with, with some individual scouts here. Our, our, our departments are connected. So they do need, you know, my evaluation on hitters. Uh, it, it's it's the, the doors open. I've been contacted by individual scouts and, and uh, sent some videos and given some uh, just kind of candid, you know, advice on what I saw. Can that be fixed? Yes. Can that be can do some of that? I'm not sure. You know, I don't know. That's high risk. You know, things like that. So yeah, I've had conversations with guys, and not necessarily getting into the draft. You know, when I was with Boston, I remember. Looking at video and picking Tristan Casas and going, that guy's swing I like better than that guy's swing. I forgot who the other guy was, but uh, Tim and I both picked Tristan. So I've, I've, I've given some input before, depending on the job. But uh, those guys do a great job. We we are we do a great job in the draft, especially with hitters. So I don't think they need my help, but uh, you know, if, if anybody does, we're definitely here and available. Again, we're all working together. So Andy Barquet, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. All right, guys, man, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to talk baseball with you guys, and uh, thanks again for all the, uh, the things you guys tweet out about our players and, and the way you, you know, promote our guys. We really appreciate it. 
I give a shout out to Andy Barquette, of course, for taking the time to jump on the Future Sox podcast, as well as the Chicago White Sox, because, man, not every day you talk to somebody from the organization. And, boy, it was perfect for us to get Barquette's perspective here, James, because, you know, thinking about where the White Sox were and where they are now, I think I brought it up in the interview. I give a lot of credit to Chris Getz and his forward thinking in order to incorporate a lot of the stuff that it takes in the modern day era to win baseball games and understanding how analytics help your teams and just players individually to get to the next level. And what's so encouraging that we're seeing now, James, across the organization, it seems like this stuff is working. And I don't know how much credit we can give to Andy specifically, but it seems like he's uh, he deserves at least some. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, there, we talk about canny a lot here, obviously, and just how different it is than last year. But there's like a ton of performances down there. You know, like Colas obviously has professional experience at Winston-Salem. But, I mean, you got Adam Hackenberg there hitting. You have Brian Ramos's like huge start. That Look, maybe he would have got there on his own. You know, Andy talked about Luis Mieses a little bit. And then you get to double A and, you know, Yolbert's already been promoted. And you talk about a guy like Lenyon Sosa, who's, you know, always had bat to ball skills, but he's got like an OPS over a thousand in double A right now. Like there has to be a link somewhere, right? Like I'm not going to come on here and say like, you know, the White Sox have gotten a lot of success this year out of their offensive prospects because they hired Andy Barquette. Like, I don't, I don't know that that's true, but you know, I do know that Chris Getz is finally like able to shape the organization under him, like the way he's wanted it shaped. They were fortunate that a guy like Andy Barquette was available. Um, and, and there's a plan. Like he talked about the, the heat maps and stuff and players are finally like getting that information. Like the White Sox are like, it's 2022 and they're like out of the stone ages with some of this stuff and, you know, using data on the offensive side and they have a biomechanical engineer and hitting coaches at every level, like espousing the same things to all the players. Like it's good. Like, I think the biggest takeaway is that there's a plan. We'll see if like some of this success is attributed to that. And, you know, something that you've mentioned, hopefully we get to talk to some of the players and, you know, we'll see, you know, if they've noticed changes like over the years and like how different this year is, that's probably something to look at going forward. Yeah. I think it was 2019, 2020 ish, where they really started incorporating some of the stat cast machines that accumulate data and measure biomechanics and like super slow-mo video and like all that equipment that goes into understanding what makes a player better and looking at it tangibly to dissect Mm -hmm. actually what's in front of them. So, you know, credit the White Sox for doing what is necessary to get better. So that was really fun to talk to Andy about a plethora of things. He mentioned Yolbert Sanchez. You know, we talked about that. I mean, that was super encouraging. Uh, We also didn't get to hear him talk about Chase Krogman, but he did mention him after we got done recording. And he, of course, spoke for the organization saying that they're huge fans of Krogman as a hitter. So another name to keep in mind, you mentioned Hackenberg, a catcher that seems legit. So we'll continue to monitor all the names over at futuresox.com. Speaking of names, we have to get to this here, James, because Oscar Colas and Colson Montgomery have missed some games. What's the lowdown there? So we don't really know like what the deal is with Oscar Colas. Um, You know, we were kind of told it was something minor that was nagging and, you know, he, he was going to be back soon, but he just missed another week. So, God, hopefully, you know, as this is published Tuesday morning, hopefully he's playing that evening again, like this, you know, this coming week. I would hope that he's back. And then James Feagan of The Athletic reported on Colson Montgomery. It sounds similar to Andrew Vaughn, honestly. He got hit on the hand. So he has, like, some sort of, like, bone bruise on the hand. He got hit, I think, like, two weeks ago. He hasn't played in a while. So... Yeah, I mean, there's been some good stuff out of the system. I know this was like a podcast talking about offense. There's been some pitching stuff too, but you know, having the the maybe the top two offensive prospects in the system on the shelf the last two weeks that that kind of you know takes some of the fun out of checking minor league box box scores and watching milb.com for some of our readers and listeners. So getting those two guys back soon would be uh, promising. And as we wrap up here, we mentioned Sean Burke, one of the arms. You, you have somebody else on your radar, James. Uh, tell us a little bit about Christian Mania. So I, you remember that first podcast we did where we learned who Christian Mania was? Yeah, like Ben ba- Ben Badler told us 
like a guy to keep an eye on in the White Sox, uh, like international class. I think he signed for like 250000 at the time out of Dominican Republic. He skips the DSL, goes to Arizona, and he had that weird 2020 in between. And he was, you know, he wasn't good in the Arizona League last year, but it was like 65 Ks in 48 innings or something, you know. Well, this year he's in Kannapolis. He's super young for the level. He's 19. You know, he's he struck out eight the other night. He's got 31 Ks and 22 innings pitched um, as a starter in low A. I, you know, I think the only knock is the velocity. You know, it's like 92, 93, I think. But like with pitching development now, I mean, you should be able to get him into the mid-90s. His breaking stuff is already too good for low A hitters. Um, so as a 19 year old, he's a guy to keep an eye on. We do, we did rank him, I think in the twenties. So he, uh, you know, one of the better pitching prospects in the system. I mean, even he's doing stuff that even some of the guys that we talk about all the time didn't really do in low A. So he's a, he's a guy to watch for sure. James, good to have you back. Thanks for doing the things that you do for us at Future Sox. It's great to be back. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox podcast. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. That's right, because we drop episodes weekly now thanks to the Blue Wire Network as well as SoxMachine.com. Go to FutureSox.com for everything that you need. You can follow James at JamesFox917 on Twitter. I'm at Rankin906. You can get us at Future Sox as well for everything Chicago White Sox Minor League Baseball. Again, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. We'll talk to you all next week.